0: You know, it was 10 years ago, I took my son, Noah, to go swimming at a friend's house. He was about two years old at the time. And while we were there, we were having a great time playing in the pool. And then we thought, you know, let's take a break. So we got out and had a snack and we had some time to catch up with friends. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw movement. And my son made his way to the other side of the pool And as I watched, all of a sudden, I knew exactly what he was about to do. He saw a toy in the pool that he wanted. And sure enough, he reaches for it, topples over, and in he goes. I sprinted across the pool deck and ran full speed and jumped into the pool. And I reached down, I picked him up, and put him back on the deck. Two things I remember from that moment. Number 1, I cannot walk on water. The second is that rescuing someone in danger is a means of saving life for the future. When we get to Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus not only has the power to walk on water, but he is the rescuer who saves us for the future. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to encourage you, uh, for those kids who are watching at home right now, not paying attention, I would encourage you right now, if you don't mind, get a piece of paper or you can get several, get some crayons. And what I want you to do is as we walk through this sermon, I want to encourage you to draw a picture or you can draw many pictures. When you hear the story of Jesus, when you are listening to the sermon, I want you to draw out what your mind sees. And here's what I want you to do. If you're cool with it, I'd love for your parents to take a picture of your drawings and then to put it on social media and to put hashtag go Westwood, hashtag go Westwood parents, you can do this and I'll have a chance to see all of your drawings and I want to see what you guys get from our time together in the word. So you can take some time to do this. So as you're listening to the sermon, draw out what you see and I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. As we've been walking through the gospel of Mark together as a faith family in the sermon series On the Move, we indeed see Jesus on the move. It's a fast-paced, hard-hitting gospel account that Mark is walking us through. Now, up to this point in chapter 6, it's been about 18 months have passed by since chapter one, all the way now to chapter six. We have seen Jesus, who has been preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God has arrived. He has cast out demons, He has healed the sick, He has fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. And now we see in chapter six what happens next. Look with me at Mark chapter six, beginning with verse 45. The scripture says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. After Jesus had fed the 5,000, no one could deny his miraculous power. They were literally thousands of people who could testify to it and they had full stomachs to prove it. And according to John chapter six, this crowd of thousands of people, they were ready to take Jesus to make him king by force. And they wanted to force him to be their king who could become the military leader who would overthrow Rome. But Jesus did not come to be a military king to save Israel from the oppression of Rome. No, 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 Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to save and to rescue from sin and death. Notice in the text, these five ways that Jesus carried out his rescue plan. I want you to see first the rescuer's priority. The rescuer's priority. After sending the disciples off to their next ministry stop, Jesus dismisses the crowd. Then he starts climbing a mountain. And while up on this mountain, Jesus spent time in prayer. Now, this was a common rhythm of Jesus's life in ministry. Jesus regularly would retreat from the hustle and bustle of ministry to be alone with his father in prayer. We see back in Mark chapter one, after casting out demons and healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. It says early in the morning, he went out to a deserted place to pray. We'll see later on in Mark chapter 14 where Jesus is alone in the Garden of Gethsemane and it is there that he is seeking his father's face and spends time with his father. Well, here in the text, we see Jesus getting away from the crowd, getting away from his disciples, getting away from the unending obligations of ministry just to be alone with his father. I was amazed this week when I was studying the gospel of John and I counted how many times Jesus talked about his father. And I saw in John's gospel 116 times, Jesus is talking about his father. You see, Jesus loves his father. He had complete unity with his father. He says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. See, Jesus was dependent upon his Father for wisdom and strength to fulfill the Father's mission to redeem the world through his death on the cross. See, we see. Jesus, who is utterly dependent upon the Father for wisdom and strength. And so too are we. We are dependent upon our Father. We are in utter need of his wisdom and strength to believe the gospel, to obey the gospel, to preach the gospel, and to live out the gospel. You see, Jesus loves his father so much and he loved spending time alone with his father. Question, do you regularly take time to be alone with your heavenly father? Do you regularly take time to get away from the hustle and bustle of life, to get alone with the one who made you and loves you and calls you by name? We see Jesus not only modeling prayer, but we see him as one who is completely dependent upon his father. If Jesus spent time alone with his father in prayer, how much more should we? Beloved, we are weak. We are needy. We are dependent. We need the father, not the other way around. So I got this question for you. How's your prayer life. You see, if you find that you're one who's not praying very much, can I say this to you? Prayerlessness reveals pride. When we don't regularly live out a dependent life upon the Lord, when we don't live in communion with the Father, we're saying with our lives, I got this. How many men and women have fallen greatly after saying, I got this? The reality is, you don't got this. None of us do. We are in desperate need of the Father. And we must realize that apart from prayer, we are pridefully dependent upon ourselves. So if you seek the Lord, if you want to grow in your prayer life, can I say to you, there are no shortcuts. There is no shortcut to a great prayer life. The way that you grow in prayer, the way that you mature in prayer is by praying. You practice by praying and you grow by praying and seeking the Father. And when you pray, you're not only following the model of Jesus in verse 46, but we are also declaring that apart from him, we can do nothing. And do you know what glorifies the Father? Do you know what brings him glory? It's when you and I cry out, God, I can't. I can't do this. I've got to have you. Father, I need you. I want you. It's this desperate plea, this desperate cry from your heart saying, God, apart from you, everything falls apart. Father, I need your strength. I need your wisdom. Oh God, would you come and would you meet with me? Would you enable me and empower me? Because I can't do this, that glorifies the father because you are making much of him. You see, you and I are so weak apart from the father. And we see Jesus who's getting alone with the father and he is modeling for us how we are to relate with him. But not only did Jesus pray on the mountain, verse 46, I want you to know this, Jesus is praying for you right now now Jesus is at the right hand of the father and he's interceding for you. Hebrews 7:25 says Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Paul says in Romans 8:34 that Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Last week I was reading and came across this quote from the 17th century Scottish preacher Uh, Robert Murray McShane, in which he said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And beloved, Jesus is praying for you right now. He is interceding on your behalf before the Father. And so, sandwiched in between the miracle of feeding thousands and walking on water, Jesus prioritizes prayer with his Father. Secondly, what we see here in the text is the rescuer's power. The rescuer's power. The disciples obeyed Jesus. They obeyed his command to get in the boat, to head over towards Beseda, and now what should have been a two-hour trip across the lake has turned into an all-nighter. And they are no closer to the shore. They have been straining, verse 48. They have been struggling to paddle, yet the boat isn't moving. The wind is too strong. And the last time they faced a storm like this, Jesus was in the boat sleeping. But now, Jesus isn't even in the boat with them. Now, you can imagine their frustration. Like, great, great. Jesus told us to go and meet him on the other side of the lake and here we are, we're stuck, we're going to drown and he's not even here to save us. Beloved, let's learn from this. Listen, obedience does not always mean prosperity. You see, the call to obey Jesus is not always a call to be successful, at least not success in the way that the world defines success. You see, the disciples obeyed Jesus and they ended up in a windstorm in the middle of a lake. Maybe you've taken a step of faith and you're in the middle of a storm and you're hurting. You're saying, I obeyed the Lord. What is happening here? God, where are you? May I say to you, he sees you. He sees you. In verse 48, Jesus saw them straining at the oars. Beloved, Jesus has his eye on you. He cares for you and he is watching you and he loves you. And so as you struggle and as you walk in obedience and as it is a fight and you're not feeling the success, you're not seeing the numbers, you're not seeing the dollars, you're not seeing all that the world gets, you see other people obeying and the prosperity of God, you're saying, well, what about me? Jesus sees you. You are not forgotten. He has his loving eye on you. And what's amazing here, about the fourth watch of the night, means sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus came toward them, verse 48, walking on the sea. I beloved, Let's not ever become so familiar with Scripture that we're not amazed by what we read. It's amazing here. Don't don't miss this. This is stunning. Jesus is walking on water. Like what? What? That's incredible. So at first, the disciples thought, hey, it's a ghost. Because obviously, people do not walk on water. Maybe if you were one of the disciples, how would you have responded? Maybe you were wiping your eyes. What do I see or maybe they're like punching each other like, hey, hey, do you, do, you, do you see this? Well, we see how they reacted like any normal person would do. They scream like little girls. Verse 49, they cried out. That word for cried out, this is not a shout. This is a high-pitched squeal. This is a shriek. This is the sound of middle school girls at a Backstreet Boys concert. Okay, Except they're not excited here. They are, verse 50, they're terrified. And Peter, he's so caught up in the moment that according to Matthew's gospel, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to walk out onto the water with you. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter starts walking on the water. Now skeptics might say, that's impossible. People don't walk on water. And you know what? I agree. People can't walk on water, but God can. God can do the impossible. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Beloved, remember, whatever mountain is in front of you, whatever struggle you are fighting, whatever trial that you Face, remember that with God, all things are possible. You trust in Him. You believe upon Him and watch Him work in your life. Trust Him. Bank your life upon Jesus because He is able to do the impossible. But we see Jesus is also up to something bigger here. Jesus is proving his deity. He is showing that he is God come in the flesh. He is the eternal son of God and he proves it by walking on water. You go back to the Old Testament. You see where Job is suffering greatly under the hand of God. And he begins to describe God's sovereignty to his friends. And he declares in Job chapter 9, verse 8, God alone stretches out the heavens and, watch this, treads on the waves of the sea. Oh, this is so good. The one who created water is now walking on it. This is, this is so great. Jesus is the Lord God Almighty who treads on the waves of the sea. Jesus is Lord over all of creation. Jesus is the King of the universe. Jesus is the maker of the earth and the seas. And Jesus is the rescuer who displays the power of God to do the impossible. And he does so by walking on water. Jesus is your King. And he is your rescuer. And here we see him displaying the power of God. Thirdly, I want you to see here in the text is the rescuer's proclamation. The rescuer's proclamation. As soon as Jesus hears his disciples screaming, he reassures them of who he is. Verse 50 Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus is reassuring them with his words that word for have courage it's a command he's commanding them to have courage Jesus uses this word again later with the apostle Paul when he's imprisoned in Acts twenty-three eleven. it says the following night the Lord stood by Paul and said to him have courage For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. Beloved, when you feel fear, remember the words of Jesus. Have courage. Be bold. Christ is your confidence. And then Jesus reveals his identity as God. He declares, verse 50, it is is I. It can also be translated, I am. Where have we heard that before? In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is walking in the desert. He comes across a bush that is burning. It's on fire, but it's not consumed he draws near, and God speaks through the burning bush to Moses. And Moses asks for his name, and God reveals his name as I am that I am. Yahweh, Jehovah, I am. Here is Jesus walking on the water, proving his deity as the one walking on the water. And he not only encourages the disciples, he says, have courage. I am is here. The great I am. The one who spoke to Moses through a burning bush is now speaking to the disciples. He's standing on the water and reminding them of who he is. And beloved, when you go through trial, when you go through pain and suffering, remember the great I am. He knows you and he loves you and he calls you by name. And here is Jesus proclaiming who he is. I am is here. That is your savior. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who was and is and is to come. King Jesus. That is who is proclaiming to the disciples. He says, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love it. Beloved, what are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? What is bringing up fear within your heart? I say to you, would you quiet your soul and listen to the words of your Savior who says, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Fourthly, we see the rescuer's presence. His presence, verse 50. Jesus got into the boat With them. Now, Jesus could have easily walked the rest of the way. He could have said, You know what, guys, I'm going to calm the sea for you. You guys can row the rest of the way. I'm going to go ahead and get my steps in before the sun comes up. Could have easily done that. But instead, he does something else. He gets into the boat with them. Oh, Oh, what a great word, with. Underline that. This is so good. I love that preposition it's a promise of the presence of Jesus. He's promising his presence. I'm going to get into the boat with you. Where have we heard this before? We celebrate this at Christmas time, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. What did Jesus promise at the great commission towards the end of his ministry before he ascended back up into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. He says in Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Back up, Bruce, say it again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you And remember, I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus here is getting into the boat to be with his disciples. And beloved, for you who have believed the gospel, for those who have been born again, for those who have trusted in Jesus, he is with you. He is with you both now and forever. Nothing can separate you from his love, Romans 8. Jesus is with you. And here we see Jesus getting into the boat to be with his disciples. Verse 51, and as soon as he does, the wind stops. When Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples, his presence brings peace to the storm. Now, for some of you, your heart does not have peace. There is a storm in your heart. It may be because Jesus is not there. If you are struggling and fighting today, if there is no peace in your life, it's because you have rejected Jesus. May I say to you this morning, wherever you are right now, receive Jesus trust in him. When his presence comes into your life, Jesus brings peace. As soon as he gets into the boat, peace. For some of you, there's not peace in your marriage. There's struggle and turmoil. Make Jesus the center of your life. Invite Jesus's presence into your marriage, and he will bring peace. For some of you, you don't have peace in your family. It's chaotic, it's frustration, it's impatience. You need Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings peace with his presence. You see, not only is Jesus the peacemaker with you and with God, but Jesus brings peace right into your heart. You find peace right here so that even when the storm rages, even when the doctors deliver bad news, even when your child walks in disobedience, even when you're given the pink slip, you have peace. Why? Because you have Jesus. When Jesus is in the boat of your heart and life, his presence brings you peace. If you don't have peace today, look to Jesus Believe upon him. Trust in him. When you believe the gospel, when you trust in Christ, he gives you peace. He gives you peace with God. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know God today, you can now have peace with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And not only from that peace with God, you begin having peace with your neighbor, the loved ones around you, those who live around you, your co-workers, your teammates, your classmates. When there's turmoil and frustration, you need the presence of Jesus. And even deep of your heart, He provides you peace. As the disciples are terrified for their lives, as they are shrieking and screaming in a boat over a potential ghost, Jesus says, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. He gets into the boat and his presence brings peace. Beloved, you invite Jesus into the boat of your life and he will bring you peace. When our kids get scared, Christy and I have a verse that we have taught them to memorize. Whether it's dark in their room at night or they're scared in a certain situation, we remind them of Psalm 56.3, which says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Beloved, when you are afraid, trust in the Lord. Lean upon him. This week, I was... I got a chance just to have some fun with the staff. And um, Monday we went to hit golf balls together, something we rarely get to do, but it was just fun to laugh and for me to beat Rick Swing. And um, I don't know if I beat him or not, but it was a lot of fun. After we dismiss and the guys are heading back to their cars, I'm cleaning up the cart and I've got some UK stuff on my golf bag. And this guy walks up to me and says, hey, UK, I'm from there. And I said, well, no way. So we strike up a conversation. And I thought, well, Lord, this is a gospel opportunity. And so I asked him, I said, man, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And he said, I'd go to hell. I said, well, man, do you want to know a way where you can find freedom and forgiveness and be promised eternity in heaven with Christ? And he said, absolutely. And I walked him through the gospel. There was a lot of shame over past sins in his life a lot of embarrassment and a lot of things that he was not proud of. But I took time to walk him through the beauty of the gospel to see when you trust in Jesus, he brings you peace. That's what he has given to the disciples here in the boat and that's what Jesus offers you when you trust in him. Fifth and finally, what I want you to see here in the text is I want you to see the rescuer's patience. We see His patience. After seeing Jesus multiply the food, the disciples did not quite connect the dots of who he was. Rather, the disciples got caught up in the excitement of the crowd, which is why verse 45, Jesus made them get into the boat. You get that word for made back in verse 45? He is forcing his disciples saying, boys, get in the boat now. Okay, he pushes the boat out to sea. Why? Jesus is trying to separate his disciples from this crowd that wants to crown him king and force him to take down Rome. And so Jesus is wanting to separate the disciples from the crowd. But there's also something more happening here. You see, after feeding the thousands, the disciples missed who Jesus was. They didn't understand what he was doing, which is why, verse 52, their hearts were hardened. But now they have seen Jesus walk on water and they were completely astonished. You see there in the text, they were astonished. They were shocked. They were astounded. Quite literally, that word means like their minds were blown. And what should have been their response after feeding the, the 5,000 was now the proper response of him walking on water. Matthew says in Matthew fourteen thirty three that those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. And though at first the disciples' hearts were hard and they didn't understand of who he was or what he was doing, Jesus was patient with them. And beloved, Jesus is patient with you too. And though uh, we don't have our act together, though none of us is crushing it when it comes to following Jesus, we don't fully understand him for who he is. He is so patient with us. And beloved, he is patient with you. Our meager efforts of pursuing him and knowing him and serving him, he is patient. And as you pursue Jesus, as you look to him, it is then that you become astounded, astonished, mind blown over who he is. In fact, that's the impact point I want to invite you to respond with is to look by faith to Jesus to rescue you and worship him. You see, as we navigate the uncertain waters of the world, Jesus is our rescuer. And when you look to him by faith, it compels you to worship, to praise him, to adore, him. When you see who Jesus is, it compels you to bow and worship. Now, for some of you, you are at the oars of your life, straining and striving with your good works, trying to earn God's favor. But you're just like the disciples, you're getting nowhere. You see, this text is inviting you who are trusting in your good works to make you right with God to Stop. Your good works cannot and do not save you. You need the work of Jesus for you and he worked for you through the cross. At the cross, Jesus did everything necessary to pay the penalty that you deserved. He died on the cross in your place and his blood was shed so that through faith in him, you can be forgiven. You can be redeemed and restored back into a right relationship with God. And the Bible says that he didn't stay dead. For after three days, Jesus came back to life and he defeated death. And those who trust in him, that is where you find peace. Trusting in Jesus. So for some of you today, take your hands off the oars of your good works and look by faith to Jesus and worship him. Adore him. See him for who he is. Beloved, for those who are in Christ, do not take your eyes off of him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, where he is interceding for you right now. Believe the gospel. Look to Jesus and worship him.